want to thank everyone for joining. It's 3.01 right now, my time. Um, thank you all for being on the line. Like I said, I know that there are probably about 200 folks on the line. Um, thank, you for, thank you for joining and taking the time. We know you all are on the front line um, and we are aware of many challenges that uh, you are addressing on the front line as um, state governments and local governments. And we, we continue to hear from you. And one sort of plea we'd like to make, I think on the front in the beginning, is just to say if anything that we've said today um, could use a little bit more narrative or more story or more color, if we can help in your outreach efforts to the Senate or the House or to the administration, um, we would love to hear your story. So please, please feel free to reach out to us, Michael Bellarmino and me. Um, on any of the initiatives that we're we're going to outline today um, and also importantly you have in your inbox a um a, a survey we'll remind you about at the end of this conversation um, you have a survey that's asking for the fiscal impacts to your local government so far we have over 850 responses but we sent it to um, 12,000 people so we need more <laughs> and the more that we can get um, the better story we can articulate on your behalf um, to the federal government, whether it's to our elected officials or to the administration. Um, quick, quick note, you know, we are here, um, as you can see, you're joining me in my at my kitchen table. Um, and I am GFOA has decided to institute the policy of uh, self quarantine social distancing. Um, and so we uh, as many of you all are in your jurisdictions um, and trying to ensure a safe environment um, and to decrease the spread of the COVID virus. But but nevertheless, things are happening on the Hill. So as I'm sitting at my kitchen table and you're joining me at my kitchen table, there are a lot of things going on at the Senate and the administration. Um, it's kind of like I've heard it a couple times today. It's like whack-a-mole. I'm not really sure where things, where threats are, where opportunities are. Um, but one thing I can assure you is that GFOA is consistently referred to and accessed. I mean, I get a lot of unsolicited um, phone calls and emails from the Federal Reserve Bank, from the Treasury, from um, Senate and congressional offices. So um, it's very clear to them the um, that that there are fiscal impacts to state and local governments and they want to ensure that they are addressing those things. So the more we can reach out to them during this legislative stimulus time period, um, the better. Um, we have been in contact, constant contact by cell phone with many of, of the administration, much of the elected officials. Um, and so again, the more that we can do to help you be in direct contact with them, we're very happy. We have a lot of um, uh, uh, contact information that sort of offline contact information that will help you get to the right person if you do in fact intend to do um, some outreach. Um, talk really quickly about the structure of this call. Um, there are a couple of uh, bullet trains on two different tracks. The first bullet train is the legislative efforts that are happening in Congress. Um, and the second bullet train is, um, is, is the regulatory um, uh, uh, proposals that are being worked through right now. Some have actually already been <laughs> issued and then revised and then reissued. Um, all in a period of 36 hours. So what I'd like to do today is just walk you through the legislative efforts and the regulatory efforts and where we stand today. 
Um, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Michael Bellarmino, um, Senior Policy Advisor in the Federal Liaison Center. Thanks, Emily. You guys, you hear me? All right. Well, thanks again, everyone, for joining us, uh, especially on short notice. And uh, just to reinforce what Emily said, it, it really is like whack-a-mole. And, and we've seen Congress, of course, acting with a speed that that we typically don't see, but of course we're not under normal circumstances. Um, so, you know, as she mentioned, we do have legislation as well as changes moving fairly quickly with the agencies, uh, especially, you know, with the two bills that have already been passed uh, as they work to try to provide additional guidance. Um, so with that said, well, I'll also say that we, you know, we don't, obviously we don't have all the answers right now as we're still trying to digest uh, what was passed just uh, maybe about 40 or signed into law about 48 hours ago on top of trying to take a look at what we've got coming down the pike with stimulus three and, and that's how I'll kind of refer to these bills today. Um, so I'll just do a quick overview at this point on, on what we know. So as you all saw a few weeks ago on March 5th, we had what we're calling stimulus one and the basis for that was HR 6074. And that was really just the initial uh, bump or supplemental funding that, that Congress passed. It was about $8.3 billion uh, to help federal agencies to respond to the, the, the outbreak. And at the time, of course, the picture regarding what the outbreak was gonna look like was, was still really coming together and is still coming together now. So some of you know, that funding, of course, was generally provided to supplement agencies like the uh, Health and Human Services the State Department, as well as the Small Business Administration, because it funded programs, whether it was to help develop and manufacture vaccines and other medical supplies. Uh, for state and locals, of course, that provided additional grants for you know, the public health agencies and organizations. And then I mentioned the Small Business Administration because it, it did provide a bump for those small businesses that were gonna be impacted or are already being affected by the outbreak. Um, the, you know, that one again was, was a fairly quick measure that was taken up and passed. And then they went into stimulus two, which HR uh, 6201, or many of you are seeing it as the Family First Coronavirus Response Act. That one was actually the one that just passed this week uh, by the Senate. Uh, of course, uh, the House took it up and passed a version of it early last Saturday. Uh, the, the president signed it. That one uh, requires essentially that the COVID-19 diagnostic tests be covered, provided a billion dollars in grant funding to help states manage and expand unemployment insurance programs. And then of course it helped provide funding for enhanced food, secu food security initiatives uh, because of course some of the early chatter is schools around the country were starting to implement where there was extended spring breaks or you know they were basically uh, uh, you know, saying that they would be closed for an uh, you know, undetermined amount of time. Uh, they wanted to make sure that, of course, you know, like the kids who were receiving free or reduced lunches, you know, still may, they were still going to be able to, to receive food. Now, I say two provisions for last because they were two that certainly do impact uh, local governments because it did, the Families First Act did provide two primary employment provisions uh, that addressed uh, an expansion of the emergency federal Emergency Family and Medical Leave Act, and then Emergency Paid Sick Leave. Uh, both of these provisions will be in place until December 31st, 2020. 
Um, the emergency family medical leave expansion, this included an, exp an expansion that would apply to any employee who has been employed for at least 30 calendar days. Um, and basically, you know, the employee must be able, unable to work or telework due to a need for leave to care for a child uh, or, um, you know, or the child care provider is unavailable due to a public health emergency. It would essentially apply to private employers with fewer than 500 employees, but public employers would need to comply irrespective of their workforce size, and the Secretary of Labor would have the authority to exclude certain health care providers and emergency responders from coverage, uh, oh, and as well as exempting private employers with fewer than 50 employees. Um, that would, and then, you know, just talking real quick about the emergency paid sick leave, this would also require employers to provide full-time employees with 80 hours of paid sick time and part-time employees with paid sick leave on a prorated basis. And, and these, there, there are a number of uh, conditions that would need to be met uh, with respect to the employees, of course, uh, as it relates to, the, you know, the coronavirus response. Uh, I think, Emily, I don't know if you've already sent out, but uh, if it has not gotten already out to you all, we're going to send uh, PDF versions of the bill as well, so you know we certainly want you to to take a look at it, but we'll we'll provide those as well. Um, the paid sick leave would be. I can just. I can just. Oh, sure. We did receive. Um, we did receive some information recently from the National Governors Association. The state of Alaska has valued this bill at a hundred fifty million dollar cost or additional incurred cost, um, and so it it may be worthwhile to have, consider um, sick leave benefits um, because this bill, while, while they presume that it's non, it is not preemptive, it is certainly additive. So if you provide sick leave already and your employee falls ill under COVID, um, that would be an additional expense to public agencies. Right, that's a great point, and, and and essentially the way we're understanding, you know, as we're you know diving into the bill, um, pretty much what we're what we're getting is that employers, even with existing paid leave policies, would still need to make the emergency paid sick leave available in addition uh, to their own policies paid leave. So that's certainly what uh, Emily was mentioning that Alaska was getting too. So with that, I, I mean, I know we we've been asking for a lot of information. You've probably been receiving a lot of information this week. But I think that would be helpful for us as well, uh, because at, at this point, the other thing, what we don't know, we're not 100% certain how the implementation of this will go, because I think uh, under the under the bill, the Department of Labor uh, will be the one who uh, you know administer you know or would be overseeing that paid sick leave. Um, so I, I think what would be helpful for us to know, even is if even if it was just a guesstimate of what that would mean for you to, if all conditions were met, to have to provide that uh, additional two weeks of paid leave for the non-health and non-emergency responder staff that you have. I think that was, uh, that essentially was that estimate that the state of Alaska provided. Yeah, I see, I see you're nodding, Emily. So yeah, so that's essentially what, again, just to kind of get a sense because one of the things that I know a lot of that our sister organizations are trying to do, they're trying to, um, uh, you know, work with uh, their champions in Congress to see about trying to get some changes made to that in the stimulus, in the next stimulus package. So that would be stimulus three. Um, so that's, again, that would just help us at least having some estimates to understand. Now we are getting varying uh, explanations as to why uh, 
um, oh, I guess I forgot to mention that there, there is a credit, a, a payroll tax credit that would be made available just to the private employers. So it, the, the bill does prohibit that credit uh, to state and local or public employers. And we've heard varying reasons as to why that was included, but um, again, that's something that we're trying to, to get clarified or at least changed in any further stimulus bills that, that are passed by Congress. Uh, so I'll just jump real quick to Stimulus 3, which is currently what is being debated uh, right now, or at least the negotiations have started. Uh, this is another one of the timeline. It's, it could be as early as, as tonight to uh, sometime early next week. Uh, I think, you know, folks, uh, um, regardless of the side of the aisle, certainly want to try to move quickly. But this is the bill that at least we've seen. Uh, it was released uh, yesterday. Friday, right? So yeah, so I think it was yesterday that it was actually released. So this was a bill that you're probably seeing a lot of headlines on regarding uh, direct assistance to households. So that's basically, you know, looking to provide, you know, stimulus checks to households based on a formula, uh, of course, um, but it also looks to provide a loan program for the airline industry as well as additional support for small businesses in the form of, of more loans, a funding boost for hospitals, uh, and then additional general tax relief for businesses. So things like uh, ideas like uh, social security taxes would be paused for the rest of the year. Uh, and then student, student loan debt relief, uh, where they're looking to suspend payments for a short-term period. And I think they're also looking, I think that's a three-month period at this point, uh, but looking to also grant the Secretary of Education with the authority to extend that for another three months or so as we, as we you know, deal with, with the, the crisis. So uh, I'll leave stimulus three at that simply because negotiations, negotiations are going to continue to ramp up over the next few days. Um, but, you know, as many of you might know, the, anything to pass the Senate needs to have 60 votes. So, of course, uh, Leader McConnell will, know, will need to have a bipartisan vote on this, but we're already hearing there's actually some bipartisan concerns being raised about what has, what has been released uh, as far as the details of the bill, uh, and much less, you know, you even have to get it through a Democratic-led House. So. Uh, that's why we mentioned a very widely varying timeline because it could happen as quickly as in the next, you know, 24 hours to within the next week. But I'll turn it over to Emily now, who's going to talk about some of the impact on the meeting market in the bill and what we're seeing from other agencies right now. Thanks, Mike. Um, yes, so Stimulus 3, make no doubt about it, the markets are being pinched right now. Um, there are um, broker-dealers who have significant municipal bond holdings on their books. Nobody's out there buying municipal securities. Um, uh, as of this morning, I heard short-term rates were reset north of 10%. Um, and if you consider we are in a zero funds rate environment, that is a significant spread. So. Um, you all are certainly aware of this. I know of many, um, uh, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars of debt that have been um, delayed issuing because not only are the dealers unable to deal, there are no buyers for it. Um, so we are looking at the short end of the yield curve where there's a tremendous pressure and an enormous spread between Fed funds rate and the potential for it to leak into the longer end, the 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 actual um, 
issuance of 10-year, 15, 30-year um, bonds. So we're having a lot of significant conversations with the Senate side right now about stimulus three. Um, the third stimulus bill, what they're telling me is that, um, I'm gonna bring the microphone up to my mouth, what they're telling me is that they want it to be a significant market moving bill. And um, we say that's all fine and good, um, but we need to address the hemorrhaging that's happening in the municipal bond market if in fact their intention is to ensure that infrastructure um, is sustained and maintained over the long term. Um, so that said, in this development of Stimulus 3, um, we're doing it in the context of a Federal Reserve who and a Treasury who is coming out quite frequently with um, provisions that don't require congressional action, but they can trigger during times of national emergency. And there are three specific provisions um, that the Federal Reserve has implemented. The first is called the Commercial Paper Funding Facility. And what that does is it provides a liquidity backstop to the commercial paper market. Now, the challenge for us and obviously the municipal bond, the public space, is that we don't have a lot of investments in commercial paper. Um, and instead, what we typically deal with, what is our commercial paper is the VRDOs or the variable rate demand notes. Um, I can say with uh, a certain amount of certainty that as this was developed, um, municipal bonds were not in the purview of what the... Um, of what the Federal Reserve was intending to do was to ensure stability on the short end of the um, of, of the corporate debt uh, markets. But I think the challenge, of course, is including VRDOs um, as um, also that commercial paper funding facility then would allow for stability on the short end of our market. Um, we are having conversations with them again about that but they have made an immediate change to a subsequent uh, provision that they've put in place called the Money Market Mutual Fund Liquidity Facility. Um, the Federal Reserve has, has pinpointed um, the municipal, I'm sorry, the money market um, as a potential stressor. Um, and what they've done is they've established a liquidity facility for the municipal market so that for the money market, um, mutual funds that would be allowed to invest in certain classes of assets and would be pledged as collateral against this or toward this liquidity facility. Um, the challenge with that, um, that we have had several long conversations over the weekend with the Federal Reserve, um, is that municipal bonds were not included um, in that liquidity facility or in those asset classes that were allowed to be collateralized in that liquidity facility. Um, and so a lot of conversations overnight, a lot of conversations this morning and at 1120 this afternoon, um, the Federal Reserve issued um, an amendment to the money market mutual fund liquidity facility that includes municipal securities in those money market mutual fund liquidity, liquidity facilities um, uh, acceptable assets, um, assets classified in the facility. Um, we think that's great. It opens up, I think, so if you think of it as a faucet, it starts at trickling 
um, what they have classified as eligible assets are municipal securities that um, are one year to maturity and they do not include VRDNs. That is, they specifically exclude VRDNs um, from, that, from that classes of eligible assets. So, like I said, if you think of it as a faucet, this certainly is, is allowing for the faucet to trickle so the, the federal government can um, include uh, municipal securities that are one year to maturity in this liquidity facility, but it's certainly not the open spigot that we need. Um, the third facility that uh, the Federal Reserve has opened is called the Primary Dealer Credit Facility. And this is a, um, a backstop. It provides credit to the 26 primary dealer institutions who qualify in um, the federal bank as a, as, as a primary dealer. Um, when I was speaking with the, uh, the Federal Reserve, I couldn't help but notice that they are these dealers that are listed as the primary 26 um, are not necessarily primary dealers or dealers who we would think are primarily trading municipal securities. Um, there has been a lot of outreach on behalf of BDA, uh, the Bond Dealers of America and SIFMA um, regarding opening up that primary dealer credit facility. Um, but that's where we are with those three stopgap measures. Um, so in terms of uh, that's the that's the Federal Reserve. Those are again non-congressional action um, and ways that the Federal Reserve has has decided to um, address liquidity in the municipal market. Well, rather in the market generally, and some regard to the municipal market. Um, this is all in context of the third stimulus. So right now the um, Senate is considering legislation on the third stimulus. They will decide on a final version of the third stimulus tonight. They will vote on an, so, so when they decide on a stimulus version, then they send it over to the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives is gonna put their, their icing on it, um, which I can guarantee you will be polar opposite of <laughs> many of the provisions that the Senate has sent over. Um, but one thing I, I do wanna let you know is absolutely in the mix is number one, as Mike, Michael Bellarmina mentioned, including a fix to the sick leave provision, um, including um, allowing for state and local governments to receive um, the uh, tax credit facility that is being offered to private agencies. But then second, there are efforts underway, both on the Senate side and the House side, that would open up the spigot a lot more. Um, there are several champions that are working right now, trying to help to identify these federal, um, the Federal Reserve as a, um, a institutional investor in our market. Um, there are some proposals that are really far out there saying, all right, the Federal Reserve can now be an investor permanently in our market. They can buy anything that they want. They can buy City of Weston's bonds. They can buy um, State of Wisconsin's bonds. And they can buy it any old time they want. And then there are more conservative versions that say, well, hang on, we're in a period of emergency. Why don't we just open the spigot during the emergency period allow for the Federal Reserve to like gobble up some of the municipal securities that are just sitting on broker dealers sheets right now and allow for that relief 
for our broker dealers to again provide that stimulus to allow for um, participation activity, buyers entering our market again um, quickly and immediately, which then would have an immediate effect in the long term, which would then would calm that 10% down, allow for capital projects to get addressed and people to enter the market again. Um, where we are right now is we're having these conversations with Senate Finance Committee. We need help in the following states. We need outreach to Menendez in New Jersey, Purdue in Georgia, Browns in North Carolina, I'm sorry, North Dakota, Crapo in Idaho, Roberts in Kansas, Cornyn in Texas, Burr in North Carolina, Portman in Ohio, Sumi in Pennsylvania, and Scott in South Carolina, and Young in Indiana. Can't forget Mr. Young. Our specific ask, and because there's so many different derivations of this participation, you know, of the Federal Reserve kind of buying municipal securities, because there's so many different derivatives of that, <laughs> that conversation. Our specific ask is to provide relief for the municipal market and that we need buyers entering the market again because the consequence is delayed infrastructure across the United States as a specific result of COVID. And so the, the, the more specific you can make the ask, the better certainly say if there's projects or if there's, there's delayed projects in your jurisdiction, please articulate that. Um, but we are we are hoping very quickly within the next several hours um, to try to pin someone down that would be a suitable candidate to um, have a bipartisan effort. On the health side, uh, Maxine Waters is leading the efforts. Maxine Waters is the chair of the House Financial Services Committee. Um, and I have not seen what her proposal is yet. But um, she certainly has some very forward-thinking thoughts about how to infuse capital into the municipal market. She specifically stated um, a, a, an effort on their behalf to ensure that um, state and local government's needs are addressed. I know I'm getting a lot of comments as I'm, I'm speaking right now, so I want to make sure that I address those. Um, that is right now one of the challenges, of course. Um, the most immediate pressing need is, to, is outreach to the Senate and outreach to the House because they will pass a bill by the end of the day today in the Senate and they will vote on a bill in the House by Sunday. Um, that's their intention. Now, a couple other questions have come in from standing committee members since I sent um, um, since I sent, okay, I see I see questions kind of coming up. Let me do a few other quick updates um, before I open up the line to uh, questions. So, so a couple other questions have come in from um, standing committee members. Of course, you all saw my note about um, whether or not localities will have access to um, the public assistance um, program in the disaster relief funds. And um, thanks to the help of our sister organization, NACO, we were able to confirm the emergency declaration made by the Trump administration declares the pandemic of sufficient severity 
that would trigger um, the public assistance program and therefore access to the $41 billion that is in that um, program. So um, there's no longer a question about that. We have written confirmation from the administration, which is a great thing. Um, something else that came up um, as a result of um, my note was a question about um, administrative relief um, regarding um, operational capacity and increased costs and administrative filings under 2 CFR Part 200, the Uniform Administrative Requirements. Um, I have received just recently, just been made aware of a White House memorandum that does provide administrative financial management and audit requirements under 2 CFR Part 200 that um, there be um, short-term relief uh, for those filings. And um, I will distribute that uh, the, in particular if you, um, I will send it of course to, by email, but this is um, sent on behalf of the grants team and OMB. Um, and it is specifically regarding a delay um, or at least administrative relief and filing um, um, with OMB. Um, third thing I wanted to mention, um, GFOA along with their sister organizations sent a message to the president this morning um, with 10 sister organizations and we requested, specifically requested a delay in um, administrative um, rulemaking um, for the time being. Um, and the reason that we issued that letter is because, you know, hey, GFOA on behalf of, of, of the organizations, uh, on behalf of our, our, our finance interests of the public organizations, you know, we primarily um, write letters to the SEC and um, the MSRB, for example. Um, the broader organizations will keep track of administrative changes at FEMA and, um, and, and many, many other organizations. And so there's a lot of letter writing that happens on your behalf. And so ensuring that there is a delay in those um, particular uh, organizations and their need for notice and comment we're asking for um, um, a delay in implementation, a delay in notice and comment. We haven't heard back yet because we sent it this morning, but that's something that we're doing. But also in regard to that, so while we're asking for relief on letter writing, um, uh, several members have reached out to me and said, hey, we are in the middle of GASB 88, 87. Um, we are midstream. Is there, you know, we are operating at a limited capacity um, and we want to ensure that we um, are are fully implementing these these standards. Um, and so GFOA will be drafting a letter asking for implementation relief in GASB. And similarly, just got off the phone with the Securities and Exchange Commission to explain to them some of the um, challenges with uh, compiling audited financial information in a time of limited capacity and how that could ostensibly have um, a bit of a, uh, an effect that might challenge um, issuers' ability to provide audited financial um, statements um, it, with respect to their continuing disclosure agreements. Um, 
I did not get an official position, obviously, out of the United States Treasury. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the Securities and Exchange Commission. But I just want you to know that that conversation is taking place um, with the, the SEC because, you know, you are working under limited capacity and ensuring those audited financial um, statements are they are a priority. Um, but there are other priorities, I think, that that we could certainly um, address. And so those are um, at least the top four things that I received from you guys. Just please know as you're asking these questions, I'm trying to deploy as best as I can to make sure that we answer your questions. But if you do have continuing questions regarding um, the federal administration and how, how we interact with the federal administration during this crunch time, you know, please send that over to us and we will we will try to get the answer for you as quickly as possible. And so let me turn it back over to Mike and then I will start to organize the questions that we received and um, and and certainly address those for you. Thanks, Emily. And all I really want to just uh, reiterate, Emily mentioned that we sent out a survey uh, earlier today. Uh, it's a quick and dirty survey. We're just trying to get, uh, we're just trying to do a quick assessment of what the financial impact might be over the next uh, few weeks. And as we've kind of talked, uh, and some of you may have even heard that, you know, there's stimulus three, there's potentially stimulus four. We're also hearing there's not going to be a four. It's all going to be thrown into three. Uh, but again, it's all moving targets right now, but we just really could use your help as far as just trying to get a ballpark idea. And our sister organizations, they're doing the same thing as well with, uh, so ICMA I know sent out a survey as well uh, because they're trying to, to, to help uh, create some sort of aggregate picture. And that will allow us, of course, to help inform, you know, the, the leaders on the Hill and, and the officials in the administration as far as uh, what we as their state and local partners are doing on the ground and how this impact is, is really going to hit us. So not necessarily to just focus on, of course, you know, the, the business needs and, and needs for individual, you know, families and households, of course, are very important, but just not to forget their state and local partners in this as well. So uh, just finish with that plug. So if you can, uh, it's, it's a short survey, so just as, as quickly as you can, we, we'd love to see your responses. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, a couple questions. Um, um, a question regarding cash flow borrowings are also being affected, leading to a cash crunch. Um, I, uh, what, I, what I'm hearing from the Hill is that there are conversations, there are different sort of creative conversations about, um, uh, about issuers possibly holding their or purchasing their own um, VRDNs or, or from public entity to public entity, they could exchange or buy each others um, that then would eliminate the the, the banks as the conduit. Now, of course, GFOI doesn't have a policy position on that, um, but there are a fair amount of, of, let's say, creative ideas that are coming out of the Senate. And, um, and certainly what we're trying to ensure that we focus on is that um, Federal Reserve participation in the muni space. Um, and we're trying to keep our ear on the ground for that. Um, there was another question that came in, and maybe um, it's uh, from Jane. We can talk offline. Um, the VRDN market um, uh, number two. Um, we are certainly, um, I, I can say that we're talking quite a bit 
with the Federal Reserve um, and trying to ensure that they understand um, credit, the credit space. Um, in many ways, we are acting as a, 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 a conduit, if you will, bringing together um, the credit rating agencies and the Federal Reserve so that everybody absolutely understands um, how our space works because um, simply because we weren't including, um, simply because we weren't including, um, uh, 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 we weren't included in some of the initial proposals, I think that that meant a lack of understanding about our market. So we're trying to make sure that we get out there. Um, and then another question um, just came in. Are there any discussions on relief on the revenue side? Again, I think similar to um, the prior question, major shock to income sales, hotel, motel taxes. Um, yes, I, um, I think that there is an acknowledgement on the house side that um, the taxing authority of state and local governments and, and the types of revenues that we have access to are being acknowledged. So while they are talking about stimulus funds for certain industries like airports, like um, uh, small businesses, um, they're now starting to realize that while expenses are starting to rise um, on the state and local government's part, um, the revenues too will have a long-term effect of of, of, of crunching the resources for the local government. Um, with regard to talking with the House, Mike, I'm not sure I have been made aware of, of any sort of stimulus efforts or any cash contribution to state and local governments on the House side. Are you, are you familiar with anything? Uh, unfortunately, not at this point, but for those of you who haven't taken the survey, that's kind of the reason why you'll see there's kind of three buckets that we're looking at in the survey, whether it's the revenues, the expenses, but also capital needs. So, uh, but unfortunately right now, uh, I haven't seen any real serious uh, proposals at this point. One thing that did come up or has come up in the conversation, obviously, is a discussion about um, Retail, retail in the local community are um, are taxable, and as we know, um, since the Wayfair decision, um, there is now incentive or motivation for states to collect online um, online taxes. But I think it's fair to say that we're very, very um, uh, uh, we're, we're still not far along in that. Um, to allow for local governments to realize um, the added benefit of collecting online sales taxes. Would you agree, Mike? Okay. Um, I, I see questions of, oh, I see questions coming in. Um, all right. Any word on stimulus fund to help troubled pension systems. I might uh, defer over to Mike on that one. <laughs> uh, this is another one similar to the answer to the previous one. I have not seen any uh, serious or any proposals or suggestions on that yet. 
Yeah, but I, and that is that is a great question and um, one that keeps coming up on, on uh, from our sister organization, National Association of Counties. And that you know, of course, the reason that they're asking is because you obviously will um, contributions will increase. Um, and so while we are still in a lagging economy or worse, a recession, um, the pension costs will rise to the local governments. And um, so I, I think that even though they aren't coming up with solutions um, to that problem, I do think that will discussion that we will have very soon, if not on the capital side, then like the debt, the debt side and the disclosure side, then we'll certainly hear from it. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly hear from it from Congress <laughs> um, because they have a vested interest in ensuring um, the um, solvency of pension systems in their states. Um, another question is coming up about um, tax exempt advance refunding and BQ. As you recall in Washington DC, when we all joined together, um, we um our main asks was the full restoration of advance refunding and um to reinstate bank qualified debt to from 10 to 30 million and peg it to inflation thereafter um two things on that i have had several conversations with our champions um as i understand it they are submitting on the house side they are submitting their asks for stimulus three they submitted their asks for stimulus three last night. I had a chance to review what some of the requests were, and I can tell you that advance refunding was on several lists. Um, the question is whether or not um, stimulus three at the end of the day, after the Senate and the House negotiate what the final package will look like, if they're going to continue to focus exclusively on Stimulus efforts for the immediate term, the short end of the yield curve, um, those types of, of, of policies, or if instead what they'll do is they'll focus on the short term, but then extend, realize that advance refunding will provide immediate relief and BQ will provide immediate relief now and in the future. Mike mentioned right now, um, I'm getting mixed messages on whether or not there will be a stimulus for, and it's our intention of whether there's a stimulus for or not, that advance refunding remains the top priority for ways and means as they approach this bill. Um, so that's where we're at on advance refunding and BQ right now. And I can tell you our efforts, our enthusiasm as the public finance network and our extended um, extended sister association. Um, our enthusiasm has not waned and we do continue to make that a priority. I'm, I'm aware of uh, at least eight letters that have gone onto the Hill from different associations asking for their full restoration of advance refunding. Now, one thing I do have to say, and the last thing I would, I would like to say about that is that while the ask is for the full restoration of tax exempt advance refunding, we don't know that what the House and the Senate will come up with. So it's possible, you know, there is some negotiation that happens if it is included as a full, and there's some negotiation that happens on the Senate side that whittles it down or or colors it or 
or or or, or tries in other ways to sort of limit advancer fundings, um, that's something that we'll have to take on over the weekend. Um, so that's kind of where we are right now. Um, and the last question I see about a stimulus to help with pension systems. Um, that goes back to a question uh, we just we just chatted. Mike, do, do you want to just um, uh, say what you said one more time? Sure, sure. Unfortunately, uh, we haven't seen that yet. Um, it, it still goes to how big they want to go with this second or with this third package now. And you know, I think uh, at least at this point, some of the bigger sticking points is just trying to figure out if they are going to go with these, you know, direct checks to households and whatnot. But uh, as far as an additional stimulus package that's directed towards public pensions, uh, I haven't seen anything. So we do have. Um, we are aware of several requests by individual states and the NGA who have asked for stimulus fundings to come in at the state level. And typically they are categorized under, um, under emergency assistance or they're categorized under um, um, medical leave. Um, those types of assistance and the volumes of dollars that they're asking for are pretty staggering. Um, but, but in, in, I'm, in, I have not seen them specifically reference pensions um, in any of those requests. Um, so that's that's um, generally what I've been observing. All right, so I don't see any other questions coming in. I know that everyone is strapped for time um, and, and doing amazing work at the local level and, and the state level. And thank you again for your participation in this. I will schedule another call. Um, for next week. Um, and if you are inclined and able to join, we would love to, um, we'd love to see you again then. So thank you all for joining.